So you can open your Bible to uh, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. Real quick, uh, does anyone here wear contacts? Okay, a few of you. Uh, what about glasses? Okay. Um, I, I managed to figure out, I wear both, but I've managed to figure out recently, uh, maybe a year ago, I can get by with one contact. So <laughs> I can see close enough, I can see up close with one eye and my other eye, I, I put the contact in. So now I'm avoiding the reading glasses, which a lot of guys my age start popping on as preachers. I've noticed them. Uh, Matt Chandler's got them. Uh, and so I'm hoping to avoid that for a while. But uh, anyway, I remember, I remember getting your glasses. Remember when, when you went to the eye doctor? I tried to deny it as much as I could, but my parents were like, clearly he, he's, uh, he can't see what's on the board. The teachers were noticing that. So I ended up in, at the doctor. And the, there's never been, I don't know about if you're like me, but there's never been a more prideful moment in my life than when I was at the eye doctor because like, I don't need glasses. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that, throw that chart up. E, got it, right? Hit the second line, bam, 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 bam. Third line, bam, bam, bam. Fourth line, hmm, fifth line. I think there were hieroglyphics. Um, like it was, I was just trying to guess at that point, letters of the alphabet, hoping some of them were right. And I remember, you know, he, he, got, he got me in the chair and then, you know, they, they, they put that big machine on your head back then. I think now they have more of a, a computer that fits over your head, but, but it was this big black thing that rotated in front of you and had lenses in it. And I don't know if you remember this, which is better, A or B, B or what, A, one or two, two or A, A or B, first one or second one, second one or first one, which one's better? And, and I don't know if anybody else felt this, it was the same. And I felt like they were over there like holding their phone up, like Instagramming me, getting ready to post this, like I'm, I, these are the same lenses, watch this guy, we're gonna go five minutes on this. Uh, but I remember that, like A or B. Well, finally, you know, I got them and I remember walking outside for the first time and I looked up and the trees weren't giant green globs anymore. I began to notice these things called leaves that were on trees. And that was literally the first thing I noticed uh, with the, the, the leaves were blowing. Um, and so, yes, I needed glasses. Well, we're studying the Apostles' Creed right now, sort of the eye checkup, if you will, for us all. It's, it's giving us, we've, we've highlighted these each week, but the, the Apostles' Creed gives us clarity. It gives us clarity about what we believe as God's people. It gets at the core of who we are and what we believe. Sadly, there's a lot of confusion, both among Christians and non-Christians in our culture, about what Christianity believes. Uh, theological surveys reveal that even people who are Bible-believing Christians, who go to church somewhat regularly, have misunderstandings of Scripture. Uh, and, and in particular, I think that uh, when, when we don't understand who, what the gospel is, we don't understand what Christianity is about, we end up sometimes majoring on the minors. What I mean by that is um, some Christians end up getting distracted and getting off into what we need to do is tell the world what's wrong with them. That's our job. We're the moral police. And what, what it gives the impression of is that Christianity is about uh, telling people what they're not supposed to be doing and what, and, and what, or what they're supposed to be doing, right? And, and that lies and misrepresents Christianity and, and Jesus. The Apostles' Creed, there's none of that, right? The Apostles' Creed, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and, and unpacking each of those helps us to see what Christianity is really about, which is important for us because how in the world can we communicate it to those who are outside of the church who don't understand it if we don't understand it, if we're not rooted, rooted in it? So it gives us clarity, but it also gives us, it also connects us together as a people. 
This is a confession. We, when we read this a few moments ago, it wasn't just words coming out of our mouths. When we said these things, if it was connected at all with faith in your heart, it connects you and, and all of us together, which is one of the reasons why we read it out loud. Uh, thirdly, it also forms us as a people. By, by affirming the Apostles' Creed, we're affirming other truths. We're, affirming, uh, we're rejecting other truths. We're rejecting the idea that your job is God. We're rejecting the idea that, that, that money is our greatest hope. We're rejecting the idea that life is meaningless and that we're all just basically highly evolved animals that we're going to live out our days and die and be worm food, right? We are rejecting that message. We are embracing a different truth uh, that, that God has revealed. And finally, that roots us in the framework of what God has done. The Apostles' Creed is a story. You heard me say this a couple weeks ago. God, in the beginning, we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That's kind of the beginning. And then at the end, that we believe that Jesus is going to come, judge the world, and we believe in life everlasting, right? So there's this whole scope that shows up in this one creed. And today we're looking at the phrase, we're turning from God the Father to the second phrase. There's three I believes in the Apostles' Creed, and we're turning to the second one today. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. Now, there are three titles there, Christ, Son, and Lord. And each one of these is loaded with meaning. When we affirm this, we're affirming something deep and powerful. It's not a, 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 a superficial affirmation. This is a deep and powerful truth. So the first one is that Jesus Christ. Jesus is literally, we're saying, the Christ. It's the most frequent term attributed, title attributed to Jesus in the entire Bible. Uh, despite what some people think, it was not his last name. Uh, it wasn't Jesus Christ, son of Mary and Joseph Christ, right? Um, it is Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, if you asked in that time what Jesus' full name was, it would have been a, a very Jewish name. He would have said Jesus uh, Barjona, or Bar, uh, excuse me, uh, Bar Joseph. Jesus Bar Joseph, son of Joseph, or Jesus of Nazareth. He was from Nazareth. That was where he was identified. And, but Christ uh, became so associated with Jesus in the Bible and throughout church history, we just say Jesus Christ. But we're actually affirming something in that statement. Uh, this isn't even, even a nickname like, like James Harden in the NBA's The Beard, right? It's not Jesus is the Christ, you know? It is he, he fulfills completely this idea. He fulfilled a, 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 a role, a messianic prophecy uh, to be called this. Uh, when we say Jesus Christ, we are making a profession of faith. Christ is uh, the Greek translation of the, the Hebrew word Messiah or anointed one of God. Now, listen to Matthew 16, 13 through 18. Je uh, Jesus is addressing his disciples and, and uh, ask them, who, does, who, who do people say that I am? Listen to what he says. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Very important question there, right? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for you are super smart, right? No, as a matter of fact, he, it's interesting that 
that Jesus just drives at this point, right? He doesn't say, man, you're so smart. I can't believe you picked up on all the clues, right? What does he say? He said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, you have to understand that during this time that, that this happened, there were tons of messianic prophecies around Jesus. Uh, some believed, some had, had uh, looked at the Old Testament and the prophecies around Moses, that there was going to be a great prophet in the line of Moses that would come. And they thought, this is him, that, that, that we're looking for this new Moses who's going to usher in a new covenant with, uh, with God and his people. Other people were looking for the suffering servant prophecy of Isaiah to be fulfilled. They were looking for this, this uh, one who would humble himself and would take on the sins of, of others and would, through that suffering, lead God's people. Others were looking for the messianic prophecies of the kingdom around King David. We talked about that a lot during our series on King David, but there was a lot of expectation and hope there. Some were looking at the, the apocalyptic uh, literature like the book of Daniel, and, and we're hoping Daniel that, that Daniel spoke of one who would come from heaven as the son of man, and, and he would descend from the, the throne of the ancient of days, right? And so you have all these threads, and let me assure you of one thing. No one thought they all were coming together in one person. There were all these expectations, all these ideas, hopes of a Messiah, one who would lead God's people, one who would deliver God's people, and Jesus fulfilled all of them. All the longings and hopes of God's people were found in Jesus the Christ. And this is what we're saying today. When we say Jesus is the Christ, we can disconnect it and think, well, that was just messianic prophecies back then. You have to understand these prophecies were addressing something very basic for us as human beings. And that is we need someone to lead us. We need someone to, to help direct us. We, we look for people to usher in hope and peace and, and, and prosperity and justice and righteousness, right? We look for people. We cannot help but look for people. We create these heroes. I mean, I go back, um, as, as incredible as it was um, for, for Barack Obama to become the first black president in the United States, and as much as that was a milestone, and I understand all the hopes that people had in that, yet if I remember when, when he won, I remember reading some people's descriptions and it was way beyond what any man could do. It was, it, it was messianic. He was going to usher in a whole new uh, operating system for the United States. He was going to usher in a period of peace for everyone. And I'm not saying, like, listen, I'm not against hoping in some leaders, but, but the hope was messianic. It was like, like Jesus-level hope. And what we as Christians need to do and be careful of is that we can end up putting our hope in this world in a leader. Now, I'm not against good leaders. We need good leaders. God affirms good leaders. But it should never be a rivalry in our heart in who we're following as broken people and who we're following as Jesus the Messiah. There's a real temptation for us that the enemy tempts us to look at human leaders to do that which only Jesus can do. I don't know if anybody's ever heard, I mean, you've heard, don't meet your, don't meet your hero, right? Anybody met your hero and just been like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I liked that person or thought they were so amazing? Okay, I'm the only one. Uh, so I met, I met one of my heroes uh, when I was in, when, after I came to faith. 
um, this, this, this guy he was a, a pastor and a worship leader, and he, uh, man, he wrote songs, and I just, I remember weeping, I remember repenting, I remember, like, just on my knees crying out to God during listening to some of his songs. And then he came and did a concert near uh, where I, I went to college, and I went to go meet him, and I had some connections, so I got backstage, and I got to meet him. Uh, and I just remember walking away really profoundly sad, because <laughs> he was a bit of a jerk, right? He's a bit of a jerk, and it may have been a bad day. I don't know. Like, we all have bad days, right? But he just kind of gets condescending, and he kind of brushed me and my, my best friend off, even though I was, like, just excited to meet him. But what I, what I missed was him singing and leading was, was, was his fear that God was using him. But that doesn't mean he is the Messiah, right? It doesn't mean that he is that whole picture. At best, we get to picture part of that, right? At our very best, using the gifts God's given us, whatever spiritual gift we have, we get to model Jesus in some ways. But no one meets that standard all the way across. Only Jesus does. We need clarity about Jesus as the Messiah so we can see the lies that are temptations for us to put our deepest hopes and trust in people to lead us. What if God's people were marked by such a trust in Jesus the Messiah that no matter who was president, no matter what changed, there was this abiding peace. Doesn't mean you don't fight for change. Doesn't mean you don't uh, pursue justice and righteousness. Um, it's just, it doesn't destroy us. It doesn't destroy God's people because that's not our hope. Our ultimate hope is not who the next president, who the next governor, who the next president of our corporation is. It's Jesus, and we rest in him as the Christ. The second title here Jesus, uh, given to Jesus is God's son. Now, listen, I, it's not hard to believe Jesus was the Messiah, right? That doesn't, that doesn't take a lot of faith. Sure, Jesus fulfilled some of the prophecies that the Jewish people had at that time. Okay, I, I can believe that. You don't have to be a Christian to believe that, right? That, that some of the ideas that had been said, that Jesus kind of captured those and he was the Christ, the Messiah. It's a whole other thing when we start saying he was God in human form, right? God's son. But, but, but Simon captures this. He doesn't just say, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of God. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So he's saying, not only are you the long-awaited Messiah, the one that we're hoping for, the one, the one who's going to deliver us, you are also God's son in human form. Now this was, is part of the scandal of Christianity. Peter wasn't saying you're a great leader. He wasn't, and, and he wasn't even saying he was God, Jesus was God's son like we think in our culture. So when we think of a son, we, we just think, we don't think the same way Jewish people did about that. We do a little bit, but not, not near like that. So, so Jewish people and the Jewish culture believed uh, that the oldest son had the essence, all the kids had the essence, but the, the oldest son had the most essence of the father in him. It wasn't just some DNA. It was the essence, the essential essence of who the father is, is in the son. So when they claimed when, when, when Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, he says, you are God in human form. You're God in front of us right now. Now that, you have to understand, that's, 
the, the religious leaders didn't like what Jesus taught. They didn't like that Jesus touched sinners and that Jesus, you know, hung out with all kinds of people. And they don't like that Jesus kind of pushed back on some of their teachings at times. But they really hated that Jesus said he was God. They really hated that he said he was the son of God. And let's think about that for just a moment. Like even his family, how long did it take his brothers uh, and sisters and, and even his mom to, to really embrace that, that he was God? Like how many of you have siblings? Can you imagine your sibling just coming to you one day and saying, just wanted to give you a heads up, I'm God's son. <laughs> yeah, you'd start laughing, right? Sure you are, that's right. Oh, I mean, you grew up. He was a, I, I believe Jesus was a normal kid. He didn't glow in the dark. He didn't walk, you know, he didn't do crazy things. He, he was just a normal kid. I think he goofed off. I think he did. You can goof off without sinning. You can, be, you can play practical jokes without sinning, you know. I think Jesus was just a normal Jewish kid. And so when his brothers, when he announced to his brothers that he was the son of God or started walking around telling people this and people were affirming it, it sounded crazy. It sounded more crazy to the religious leaders who believed up to this point that God only dwelt in the Holy of Holies behind multiple veils, behind uh, in a space that only the high priest could go once a year. And now Jesus is saying, Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God walking around in human form. You know, one of the interesting things about um, interesting studies on theology in America. Somewhere around 74% of Americans believe uh, in the Trinity. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. 52% affirm, believe that Jesus was not God. 74% believe in the Trinity but of Americans. 50, 52% believe Jesus was just a great teacher, but not God. Anybody see a contradiction there? But that's, that's why we're studying this, why we're looking at it. And, it, and I, understand, I understand the idea, idea, it's nice. If you're not a Christian, it's nice to say Jesus was a great teacher. I get that. But he does not leave any room for that. If you look at his ministry, you look at his life, he leaves no room. Any more than you would say, you know, I've really considered Charles Manson. He's got some really smart things to say. I've seen some interviews and, you know, I think I'm going to apply some things to my life. At that point, your friends start watching you very closely, right? Why? Because he's crazy, right? He, he's, he's not mentally stable. And so when it comes to, to, to Jesus, to, to parse him out and make him a good teacher, you're doing, you, you're doing more than can be done to his character. How does Jesus respond to Peter here? No, Peter, you idiot. I'm not God. Can't believe you thought that. I'm just here for God. I'm just speaking on behalf of God. What does he do? He says, blessed are you, Simon. You got it, buddy. Good job. And God showed that to you. How, how crazy is that? He doesn't push back at all. Jesus never resists worship. And he, all, and he never uh, didn't claim to have divinity. He offered forgiveness of sins to people. Now, if you ask, if you, if, if you hurt me and you ask for forgiveness, I can forgive you. But, but imagine a situation where and Caleb is, you know, hurt Brad and Brad, you know, Brad's uh, and Caleb are talking here and, and Caleb says, uh, hey, Brad, will you forgive me? And I just pop in and go, Caleb, you're forgiven. 
That's weird, right? That's really bizarre. But that's exactly what Jesus did. All sin was against God. But Jesus kept inserting himself and saying, you're forgiven. Like, I, I'm telling you, you can't, unless you're, you're, you're just, you're doing some hermeneutical interpretive gymnastics if you can turn Jesus into a good teacher. He's not. He's God. You look at his message. He doesn't come as a prophet. He doesn't simply say, hey, you know what? Uh, let me help you understand what God has said. No, in fact, matter of fact, he, said, he often says, you know, God said, we said, the Old Testament said, but let me tell you something. Let me tell you more. Let me give you more clarity about that. He doesn't come as a prophet. He comes as the prophet, as God himself. The I am statements in the Gospel of John. No room here. I am the bread of life, the living bread, the light of the world. From, not from, uh, I am from above, not of this world. I am the gate for the sheep, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the true vine. Jesus does not seem interested in leaving any room to interpret him as anything else than God's son. You either take that or you leave Jesus. Jesus was fully God and fully man, though. And it makes Christianity utterly unique among the world religions. You know, some have said, you know, kind of the closest wisdom you see in the world religions to Christianity or what Jesus says, maybe Buddhism, right? But you know what Buddha's final words were? Strive earnestly. You know what Jesus' final words were? It is finished. Jesus never, or Buddha never looked and said, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for it is easy and it is light. Jesus was God's son, but he, he condescended down to us on a level that we could touch him, we could feel him, and he could feel us and hear us and walk with us and understand what it means to be human. I'm telling you, this is a scandalous statement. Jesus is the Son of God. But it's part of the central confession of Christianity. Then the final title here is Lord. Generally speaking, Lord um, is someone with authority, control, power, dominion, right? It's, um, it, it's considered a, a person that's a master or a ruler. Um, in Jesus' day, the word Lord was thrown around a lot. A, a person would, out of respect, speak to a superior and call them Lord. Um, but it was interesting, when, when Jesus died and Jesus rose from the grave, all of a sudden his disciples stopped saying uh, Lord to other people and only described him as Lord. Jesus is Lord became the earliest confession of the church. Jesus is Lord. Listen to uh, probably as much as any passage in the Bible, Colossians 1, uh, 13 through 20 captures this. I want you to just hear this it's grandiose. It's mind-boggling who, who, who Paul says Jesus is. In verse 13, he says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now listen, only one who has more power, one king who has more power than another king can go into that kingdom and, and, and pillage him, right? Jesus went into the kingdom of the enemy, punched Satan in the teeth, and pillaged and took his stuff. You know what his stuff is? Us. And do you know how that's described? Like he, Jesus had to fight this big battle and it lasted forever. No, it was the cross. Jesus fought for us on the cross and robbed Satan 
of his power of guilt and shame and fear and accusation. That's why if you, as a Christian, when you struggle with sin, are walking in condemnation and you hear that voice that's saying to you, you are not worthy to be a Christian. That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's the enemy whispering condemnation on you, trying to paralyze you. No, our Lord defeated the power of sin. We were born into the domain of darkness, but we were transferred into the light kingdom of his son. How did he do that? This, this is Jesus the Christ, the son of God, our Lord. Our Lord went to the cross and he quite literally opened his arms and he fully absorbed the wrath of God against your sin. Every last sin of your entire life, from, from birth till your day of death, yes, this morning, whatever you did, whatever you thought, whatever you said, yes, that. He took all of that on himself, he did it willingly, and he did it out of love for you. That's your Lord. That's Jesus. He is, verse 15, the image of the invisible God. He's the exact representation of God. He's the firstborn of all creation. Verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, invisible and invisible. Uh, that'll, that'll make your head spin right there. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Rulers and authorities. He's even referring to Satan here. Listen, Satan and God are not yin and yang. Uh, Augustine, the great theologian, once said, even the devil is God's devil. <laughs> he belongs to God. He only has a leash as far as God will allow him. Look at verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Some of you think strong atomic force is holding your atoms of your body together. It is. But who's holding the strong atomic force? Jesus is. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Do you see how mind-boggling it is to say and actually mean Jesus is Lord? This is a, there is no more profound phrase you could say. It is not a fact you are simply stating. Like Nashville hot chicken is hot. I was in Nashville this week with some, some folks from, from COA. And uh, of course, what do you do in Nashville? You gotta eat hot chicken, right? Because I didn't know there was a hot chicken until I heard about Nashville hot chicken. And, and we, you know, being in Nashville, there's levels one through five of hot, and I'm like, I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty tolerant of hot food. I'm going for four here. Five was poltergeist. I, that scared me a little bit. So I went for hot, and, and so did everybody else, and we ate it. And people started sweating, and Aaron Peters looked like he was on fire. His face looked like he'd been in the sun all day long. Like, it was, it was people, I mean, it was, it was rough, and, 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 and most of the rest of us were all just dumping ranch dressing on it like we were trying to drown the fire or something. 
We ate, and the next day I finished mine, but the, or most of it, but the next day everything I ate tasted like rubber, right? My tongue was like, what did we do? Um, Nashville hot chicken is hot. That's a statement. It's interesting, right? But Jesus is Lord should not roll off our tongues the same way. When you say Jesus is Lord, when we profess just a moment ago, Jesus is our Lord, we made the craziest declaration that any human beings can make. We made claims about the entire existence of the universe in that one statement. And if you back that down, the question is, to be honest, do we really act like that's true? Do you go to work as if Jesus is Lord? Do you have relationships like Jesus is Lord? Do you spend your money like Jesus is Lord? Do you have fun like Jesus is Lord? Do you think about your life, your future, your hopes, your dreams like Jesus is Lord? Is Jesus Lord of all of those things or is he kind of this Lord over on the side you think about from time to time? Because because to say Jesus is Lord means he is Lord of your relationships. He is Lord of your money. He's Lord of your body. He's Lord of your work. And that's good news. You know when you and I, if you're a Christian, you know when we get in trouble? We get in trouble when we start acting like things in this world are our Lord. This career, oh, this career is going to give me meaning. This career is going to give me hope. This career is going to give me purpose. This career is going to give me an identity. And listen, we swim in that every day, don't we? I mean, it is like the ocean of the city of Boston. And Jesus is saying, I want to set you free from that. Because only when you're really free can you go work hard at your job for the glory of God and not turn it into the Lord of your life. So Jesus is not against you succeeding in your work. He's not against you succeeding in, in, in making money or, 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 or getting uh, success or having a family. He's not against those things. He's against us when we become enthralled with those things and put those place in the place of Lord of our lives. You you are where I look for hope. You are where I look for peace. You are where I look for direction. Early Christians were faced with a, a different temptation. You might be tempted to make work Lord, family or money or success or degree. But the early church just struggled with saying Jesus is Lord and not dying. Why? Because in, in, in the Roman Empire, there was one affirmation that you had, to, you had to be able to say. You could have your Jesus is Lord, that's fine, keep that, but you have to be able to say, Caesar is Lord. And that became the litmus test for Christians. The Roman soldiers would literally come and, and, and they would have a sword and they would uh, get the Christian down on their knees and say, you need to affirm Caesar is Lord. You can have your Jesus is Lord, that's fine, but Caesar is Lord. And if you'll say that, you can get up and go. And they refused to say it. And they died by the hundreds, died by the thousands for that one statement. Jesus is Lord. So the question for us today, we're likely not going to be tested in that way this week, right? <laughs> At least I'm kind of hoping not. But you will be tested by your career. You will be tested by your 
by your boss. You'll be tested by any number of things that will draw you away and say, this is your Lord. Affirm this. You can still have Jesus, but this is where you need to really look. Jesus is calling us to follow him as Lord. So the real question for us this week, as we read the, the Apostles' Creed and we come to a close, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. Rolled right off my tongue. The question is not can we say it, but will we live that out this week? Or is this just a statement that rolls off our tongue? As we close, two applications, well, two ways to think about this. I'm gonna have the band go ahead and come up. One for you personally. I doubt very seriously there's a Christian in this room that hasn't thought about the fact that they've been following something else as Lord or someone else as Lord. So let's take a few moments to confess that. Listen, Jesus sees it, right? This isn't a secret. You haven't been hiding it. So let's confess it to him. The one that said, come unto me, all your weary and heavy laden is waiting for us to repent, waiting for us to bring that to him and to begin to live out of the freshness and the freedom of him as Lord. And he loves you, let me say this, he loves you too much to let you give your life to something else and have joy in it. And then for us as a church, he said to Peter, I tell you, Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Today on a hill exists by God, by Christ, and for Christ. And we have got to stop thinking about defense and stop thinking about, you know, kind of protecting ourselves and let's, you know, do our thing with each other and let's, let's have community group where we care for each other. Those are good things, not against those things. But, but he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Are gates an offensive or a defensive weapon? It's defensive, right? You've never seen, you've never seen a, a, a movie, war movie, where there's a guy running onto a battlefield with a gate, right? <laughs> People start laughing at him, right? I'm afraid Satan has us, the enemy has us on defense. And he has us fearful. And he has us worried. Instead of understanding Christ has said he will build his church. This Christ who we have professed as the Son of God and our Lord. Does anyone think he's not capable? But the thing is, he has ordained that it's through us. As we reset as a church this summer and relaunch this fall, we need to get, get this through our heads and our hearts. Jesus wants us to love our neighbors. Jesus wants us to share the gospel. Jesus wants us to go out. And listen, it might look like people are doing great out there, but, but they're not. They are separated from God. They don't have Christ. They don't have peace. They are making their job their God. And have you ever seen anyone in your life who's made their job their God who's a happy person? No. So let's stop looking at them and thinking maybe they somehow have it all together. They don't. We, it's, it's an alternate narrative that somehow people don't need Jesus. We needed him. Every person in this city needs him. The question is, will we as a church, as God's people, go out in the love of Christ and let Christ build his church?
Let's read this together. Let's go ahead and stand. We're gonna read this together. And count of three, one, two, three. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord. We're gonna move into a time of communion. Uh, we're gonna have station, two stations up here at the front, two in the back. Um, if you're a Christian, you can step out anytime over this next song to take communion. You are declaring that statement to be true. You're not just declaring it to be informationally true. You're declaring it to be true for you. And so take a few moments, prepare your heart, and take communion as God leads you to. If you're not a Christian, it's the only part of the service we'd ask you to not participate in because we, we want you to take Christ first. This is for those who have affirmed Christ from the depths of their heart. And if that's you today and you're learning about that, we wanna help you in that journey. Uh, so please follow up with me. Reach out to me, grab me in the back after the service. Let's pray together. Jesus, we, we thank you. That, that you are the Christ, the Son of God, Lord, our Lord. And we thank you and we rejoice and we look forward to that day that you have promised that every knee in, in will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. Jesus is Lord. And, and we want to look forward to that day. We want to have our affections on you. We want to have our minds dwelling on you. We want to have our hearts and our souls deeply rooted in you so that when that day comes, we embrace it wholeheartedly. As we take the bread and we take the cup, we remember what you have done to make that possible. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.